0: Hello, hopefully you can hear me. My giant mic. So I don't, YouTube's not working out, but that's fine. I think Restream is trying to get it going. We've got five folks on Twitch and I'm recording should all be good. Maybe YouTube's having trouble or something. Maybe I made the title too long or something like that. Oh yeah, can you hear my mouse? Sorry about that. There's nothing I can do. All right. Um, hopefully I don't have anything top secret up on the screen. Um, I'm not going to worry about YouTube. If it starts up, let me know. I just wanted to watch the chat if it does get going uh, do you like my Pie cascades 2020 shirt I love the pink I thought it was fitting for this okay so um, thank you for the link Mr. Certainly uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Scott. I work, on Adaf- or I work for Adafruit on CircuitPython. Um, CircuitPython is an easy-to-use uh, version of Python meant for microcontrollers. Uh, we are not going to be doing CircuitPython today, though. Uh, it's Saturday. That is my weekday job. <laughs> so uh, today I will not be doing any uh, CircuitPython. I've done some deep dives on CircuitPython before, so if that's what you're looking for, uh, go ahead and check the, the Adafruit YouTube. There's some recordings there of, uh, of me hacking on CircuitPython. But um, it's the weekend. I'm home alone. My wife is on a trip. Uh, so I was like, hey, you know what? I think I'll, what I'll do is I'll actually stream and I'll work on a project that I kind of do for fun. Um, and that I think is also very impactful, potentially impactful and potentially very uh, very helpful for a lot of people. So uh what that project is, is something I'm calling if you see me looking this way, it's cause that's where I can see that everything's okay. Chat is here. And Twitter's over here too, you know? Always following Twitter. Um Yeah, so uh this is not gonna be like a typical Adafruit stream. Uh if you've seen my deep dives before, you'll know that they're they're very random, very kind of like fly by the seat of your pants. And they do tend to last two or three hours, so um, strap in. I've got one glass of water here, and I've got actually another one on the desk behind me uh, as we go through this. Um, As you can see uh, on my screen, I've got Sigrock pulled up, uh, their website here. And Sigrock is a logic analyzer piece of software. It's open source. And uh, one of the challenges with them, yeah, as Mr. Certainly says, sit back, grab a coffee and tea and enjoy. Go ahead and do other stuff while you're doing this. But uh, hopefully, uh, what I found with my deep dives is that they're very deep. Uh, Some people are like, I want bite-sized content. But for those folks who want to dig in and and really do it, a deep dive, uh, which is basically me working on something for a couple hours while recording it, is a great way to get people going and, and how people can understand what my process is when I'm working on something. Um, so the goal today, uh, Sigrok is an awesome open source piece of software for uh, doing logic analysis. Now, um, let's start with the basics. What is logic? What is logic analysis? What What is a logic analyzer? Well, a logic analyzer is a piece of hardware that. Sniffs uh, digital or analog data lines and records the signals on those lines over time. And then, uh, and, and, and the important bit is the overtime piece. So, uh, if you've gotten into electronics a little bit, you know that like a multimeter is one of the first tools that people recommend you get. And a multimeter is great, it can do a lot of things like measure current, it can measure voltage, um, but it really only does it like instantaneously. So, just what is it right now? Um, there are other tools called oscilloscopes where you can see over time what happens, but they're very kind of limited, although some of them have logic analyzer stuff too. Uh, but the basic ones, they'll show you more like what a standard waveform is or what a pattern is. What a logic analyzer does is it, it, it's kind of more focused on the digital side of things. So, uh, and, and I'm a software person as well. So the questions that, uh, A logic analyzer meant are really what commands or what digital data am I sending across these wires from a microcontroller to a sensor, that sort of thing. Um, It can also answer questions like, uh, I have a NeoPixel, but I don't know if the timing is right. Like I don't know whether the pulses that I'm sending to the NeoPixel are within the spec, so that it could actually tell what the colors are. Um, And a logic analyzer. A logic analyzer is really nice for that. Basically, what it's doing is it's capturing high and low level logic levels on one or more uh, data lines at the same time against the same reference clock. Um, and then Sigrok is an awesome uh, version of or open source analyzer tool on the on the desktop side, uh, but it needs to work with hardware. Now we can see here they have supported hardware, and they do have a lot of different logic analyzers. Um, but what I've found is that a lot of them are, the inexpensive ones are only available through China. Um, and I prefer not to order directly from China, although the stuff is okay. Um, but, uh, and then there's like some like professional logic analyzers that are very expensive that are supported. Uh, but those are also not quite what I want to, I've never had great success with that. Um, because the hardware itself is closed, so it's hard to write drivers to, for closed hardware. Uh, the other thing that I haven't really found in terms of the hardware side is I'd really like a logic analyzer that's slow, but can handle a lot of lines at once. So uh, if I just switch to my desk here, I'll show you what I've got for a logic analyzer now. Um, Let's not do that one. Let's do this one. So um, let me just show you what I have here. I've got the Salier. Salier is an awesome company. They do logic analyzers. This is their Logic Pro 16. Um, and as you can see, it's got 32 pins here, but half of those are ground. Uh, and so it can do 16 pins all at once. And it's USB 3, which makes it really, really uh, quick as well, which is awesome, um, but they are very expensive and they're only sixteen lines. Um, the things that I've been looking into are actually like a keyboard matrix where it's a lot of d di- a lot of separate wires, but the signals themselves are very, very slow so um one of my motivations for doing this is uh giving myself a version of uh yeah, <laughs> sorry, reading the chat. Um, giving myself the foundation, the, f- the firmware foundation, to be able to create or take existing hardware that I have and make it into a logic analyzer, uh, particularly one that is very wide. So if I could do 32 lines at once, uh, I'd be able to do something like a uh, Game Boy cartridge. So Game Boy cartridges, they have a lot of pins on it. They have you know a 16-bit address bus and an 8-bit data bus, and then the control signals on top of that. And I haven't found a great way to like just capture all that data um, and be able to analyze it. The other piece is that um, Salier themselves really only support—they uh, only support their own software, which is fine, and they're they're continuing to improve it. But uh, as a software person, I'd much prefer to work uh, or use software that I can then hack on. And make better for myself. So, um, my goal today is just straight up to like bring more exposure to SIGGROC and talk a little bit about this project I'm call- calling Tiny Logic Friend. Um, Logic Friend was a name that we actually we prototyped this uh, previously within Adafruit, uh, and they called it Logic Friend. I added the Tiny because I'm actually basing it on Tiny USB. So. Um, Logic analyzers at the very very basic level, what they're doing is they're reading pins over and over and over, and then they're piping that data up a USB link or 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 even a UART link to uh, a computer, which then can take that data and do higher level an- analysis of it. Um, and so the goal with Tiny Logic Friend is that we have this great USB stack. Uh, let me switch back from my desk for just a moment. Um, If you don't know this, uh, TAC has TinyUSB, which is an open-source MIT-licensed cross-platform USB stack for embedded Cortex-M systems, Um, although we are going to have ESP32-S2 support, so that's extensa, so the the Cortex-M doesn't actually matter. so what I'm doing is I'm I, because there's that two sides of a of a logic analyzer they they read the inputs of the pins and then spit it up the USB link. Uh, we can actually share all of the USB link side regardless of what microcontroller you're running on. Um, so the other half is then how do you capture the data on the particular MCU that you're doing. Um, that's the gist of it. Tiny Logic Friend you can find right now as uh, githubcom slash tiny logic friend This is also not updated. This is just the very first um, push I did to the repo at during this stream. I'll push everything that I've done here. And in fact, uh, that's probably a good place to start because I actually have some pending work I should get committed. Uh, I think so. Um, let me do a little bit more intro. Let me just show you uh, the Salier stuff to, to show you where I'm going with it. Um, and let's also just check. Yeah, YouTube's not coming up, which is fine. We've got 11 folks on Twitch. Thank you for watching. Uh, if you don't know, uh, our primary chat is on the Discord, uh, the Adafruit Discord server, which is adafru.it slash discord. Uh, and we're in the live broadcast chat channel, so if you hop in late and have questions, uh, please direct it there. That's where I will see it. Um, let's just briefly show off Salier to 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 put a visual thing to what we're trying to do. So what I'm going to do here is I have the Salier plugged in, and I might actually unplug this later because uh, I have a lot of USB stuff and they all suck down, or they all generate a lot of data. I've got a hover cam here that's doing the overhead, I've got a webcam, uh, and I've got the salie, and j J-link, all sorts of stuff. So, If the stream accidentally dies, that's why. Um, but let's just show off how the salier works first. Because saliers are really useful. So I'm just plugging in ground here, and then I'm going to plug in these three wires. Ignore the metro for now. This is going to be what we develop Tiny Logic Friend on. Uh, but I've also got a Feather Feather NRF52840 that uh, earlier I just made uh, print out. Uh, this is an LIS3DH. It's an accelerometer, uh, and it's done over I squared C. So uh, what I'll just be doing is we'll be able to see the traffic between the the NRF and the and the LIS3DH. So let's show that off. Let's open yet another program, which you can't see. So I plugged it in. And I'll plug in before I switch the overhead off. I'll plug this in as well. There's nothing exciting happening here. It's just going to run. I switch back to this. You can see I've now opened Logic, which is the software um, that Salie works with and you'll notice here that they're actually working on a new version which is cool i'm happy to see them innovate so what i'm doing here is the salier is really awesome it can uh both do digital and analog so you see here it's kind of like a sine wave that's because it can actually capture the analog aspects of the signals not just the digital ones Uh, with tiny logic friend i'm not doing that like uh, there's always a, ma- a question of like how much resolution or how much uh, you can actually capture in terms of your signal. And I'm just going for the baseline. Like the all of the signal integrity is fine. It's just a digital like software problem. I'm not going to worry about interference or any sort of thing um, because digital really is analog under the hood. Uh, for Tiny Logic we're not going to worry about that. If you do need to worry about it, though, that's where something like the Saleae stuff can be really, really helpful. Um, and the Saleae also has this uh, sample rate uh, selection as well. And the Pro 16 can go up to 500 mega samples per second, uh, which is incredible and definitely not something we're going to be able to do. Um, so what I just did here is, as I showed earlier, there's 16 lines. And I happen to know that the two lines Well, maybe, I don't know which way I plugged it in, but there's three lines, you can't see it here. If I do this and scooch it over, there's three lines right here that I plugged in from the salier, so I've selected those um, in here, which you can see as well. just scooch it, uh, scooch it over. so now we've, we've got these three lines, and our code should be running. So I'm just going to hit Start and capture a little bit. And we can see these tiny little pulses show up. And they're showing up kind of, it can tell you how far apart the pulses are. And I act, in the CircuitPython code that's reading the accelerometer, uh, I have a sleep that's one second long. So a, a logic analyzer is really helpful for con, con, like, uh, confirming your timing is correct. And now I'm scrolling the scroll wheel, and I'm able to zoom in on these three traces. I only actually needed the two, but because it's like a three-header, I didn't know which side, which two of the header I was going to do. So I could turn uh, seven off here now. Uh, Except now I got to capture it. Oh, it's done here. Um. So this is what the logic analyzer is producing for us, and now we can see uh, some more interesting. Uh, facets of of the signal. Um, what we're seeing here is this top line is one of the two wires, and the the digital 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 data is encoded with the voltage, um, and then in a, that voltage is abstracted away uh, by the logic analyzer. It basically like there's two thresholds, and if they're below that, it's a zero. If it's above the other one, it's a one, um, and that's what we've kind of boiled it down to. Uh this is analyzing uh an I squared C connection which is uh a shared bus. It's a, it's kind of like uh it's a shared protocol for how a microcontroller can talk to another device. Um and the advantage of I squared C and uh is that you can have more than one device on the same pair of wires uh and they can all talk at different times but using the same pair of wires, which is really powerful, and it's actually very, very common on all of Adafruit's products. Um, So this is a really good target uh, for something like the tiny logic friend, where we have lots of products that are I2C, and there's lots of Python drivers and other drivers that there is logic about what commands go, Um, but by having a logic analyzer you're able to actually tell that the commands went in the right order and verify things like that. Um, The other nice property of I squared C for something like a tiny logic friend is that it's actually quite a slow signal. Um, It's 400 kilohertz which is really not that quick. Um, Then again (laughs) I haven't actually gotten it working so I don't know for sure whether we're going to actually be able to pull this off. Uh, so I hope you didn't actually expect anything to come out of the stream. We may we may just learn a lot and not be able to do it. So uh, the advantages, or the the reason that I'm pretty confident we're going to be able to do it, is that uh, while here I'm trying on the Sandy Fifty One, which is 120 megahertz, uh, there are some new chips coming down the line that are like 500 megahertz, and that may make it easier to be able to do everything. So. Uh, if we can't do it on the samd 51 we should be able to find another micro that we can do it on um, so this is what a logic analyzer looks at the basic level uh, but one thing that's cool is now you can do things like uh, actually interpret the different pieces of that uh, into a higher level constructs like what data is actually being sent so sda is the data line and i know that six is the data line because it's not always uh, moving and the, the one that's always moving is the clock line. The clock line is used as a reference for, like, when are the bits valid? Or when, when should the bits be read? So if I turn this analyzer on, now I can see things like... Um, I never like that it's an ASCII. I think I should change that. But, so uh, it tells you, like, the data that was sent and then the, uh, whether it was acknowledged or not. That's part of the i squared c protocol. And they've actually added like these uh, dots and stuff, too. So setup read, so that's the address of the device it's looking for, and then this data. Um, and you can see that the clock line also has arrow, up arrows on uh, the rising edge. And that's just to indicate which uh, side of the, the clock signal is actually valid. Okay. So SIGROC is great, or not SIGROC. Celia is great we're going to talk about sig Um salia is great but it's actually pretty price prohibitive because they are really high quality devices that are used professionally um, the goal with tiny logic friend is that you've you're a native fruit fan or um, you have similarly class hardware you have something that tiny USB supports it'd be awesome if you could just load software onto the device you already have and use it as a very basic logic analyzer uh, because it's very, very h- helpful, right? Logic analyzers are giving us a view into the, wire, the, the wires of themselves and the data that's going over them. Um, so let's close that. Let's move away from Salier. I think I've kind of tried to sell that stuff enough already. Um, they're great. They're expensive, like hundreds of dollars. Um, but if that's the tool you need to do work, then it's well worth it. Um, my goal is for to provide something for beginners and stuff So Sigrock's been around a while And it is similar to the, the Logic side The software I just had open That's kind of what Sigrock does Then the question is, is what hardware do I have um, to use with Sigrock? And that's where Tiny Logic friend comes in So I'm going to unplug the salier, which you can kind of see. And please, like, bug me in the Discord if uh, I end up talking about something that you can't see on screen. Uh, Because I have this view, and then I also have this view where you can see more of my screen. Hey, thank you, Twitch bot. 24 minutes into the stream, and it says that I'm live. Does that mean YouTube's gone? No. Okay, so uh, we're going to ignore that. I told you this was going to be like a live coding sort of thing. So let me just show off PulseView. So PulseView, SigRock is the name of the the broader project. Um, and the, there's a, a few components to it. One is the library itself. And the library itself is the code that interfaces with the devices. And then there's a SigRock CLI, which allows you to... Uh, talk, take, talk to a device, and then run uh, logic analysis or protocol analysis on top of that, all from the command line. And then there's also a thing called PulseView, which is kind of like the desktop windowed app uh, equivalent to <laughs> uh, Ogre Drew says uh, they give TwitchBot a bot snack uh, for for it saying that we're live streaming. Um, so there's uh, kind of two pieces that we're going to talk about, um, maybe three with Sigrok. Uh, the first is the library itself, and that's where the like negotiation between how the hardware talks over USB gets translated into the <laughs> translated into the standard formats uh, for the Sigrok processing on on that side. Um, and then there's also the uh, like viewer side as well. So. Let me just show you, I, I did get this going. So I'm in my directory for uh, Rock here because I've actually modified it. Um, I had to modify it for the protocol that I was talking to li- tiny logic friend. Um, but first, I just kind of want to show pulse for to compare it to this to this Sallier stuff I just did. So we're started up here. And one thing that's interesting is it does actually have the Sallea logic pro. It detects it. I'm not entirely sure that it uh, that it works. I haven't tried it. I think I tried it once and it crashed. So I'm actually gonna just ignore that. Um, just to show, let me just show PulseView off here quickly. And to do that, I'm just gonna use the demo device, and I can just hit Run, and it generates some data for me. The viewer here, if I zoom in, uh, can actually view different types of analog waveforms, um, and it can also view digital waveforms. Um, one thing that's kind of took me a while to realize, but the uh, the digital waveform is actually Sigrok. S i g r o k. I was like, oh, it would be really nice to be able to run a protocol analyzer on top of it, but it's actually just a, a visual represent, representation of SIGROK. Um But this is kind of where uh, my interest as a software person is is that um, SIGROT comes with a bunch of decoders uh, for different protocols, uh, digital protocols. I don't know if they have any um, analog protocol analyzers. But basically, what you could do, like we said, like, oh, this is I squared C, debug I squared C. Um, this actually has decoders for all sorts of different stuff. You can see here, NES gamepad, which would be really neat. Um, but. Uh, I'm a firm believer. In if I'm going to put time into writing like decoders and stuff, I'd much prefer to do it uh, for open source software. So uh, I'm interested in moving my workflow over here where I can. Um, and you can see all sorts of different like sensors and stuff that they have decoders for. Uh, they won't work on this data because it's different data. But um, definitely interested in in getting support. I think the challenge, the hurdle that uh, Sigrock is kind of like had to get over is I don't think that they have a very easy way to get hardware access to everyone. I think the folks that are really into SigRock are totally willing to buy the stuff uh, from AliExpress and things like that. Uh, but I'd love to see uh, readily available hardware in the US be supported by SigRock. So that brings us to TinyLogicFriend. Um, so Tiny Logic friend, is tiny USB-based logic analysis software, logic analyzer software. It's not actually, so it's not doing any protocol-level analysis. Its whole job is to sample pins and spit it up the USB link so that uh, on the host computer you can uh, get that data in and do that higher-level protocol analysis. So there's a couple ways of doing it. The basic challenge is that it, it's a lot of data so a lo, uh, a logic analyzer tends to have just a sample rate so you say like I showed you briefly in Salia you could say sample every 20 20 mega samples or something and what uh, the microcontroller will then do is it will set a timer and it'll say every and and ticks of my clock I will sample the pins and then I'll spit them up, up the USB link that has a Problem in that um, if your signal's not changing you're still sampling it Really high so you have to have a good m- Match between the rate Of the signal you're trying to sample And the uh, And the, s- the rate That you're actually sampling the signal uh, One of the challenges with the SamD51 uh, And the 21 and-, and most of the Boards that we support here at Adafruit Is that they're all um, USB Full speed Which is only 12 megabits per second, which is not a lot. And that's theoretical, and that's shared with other, other devices. So one of the key things is like really reducing the amount of data you're sending over the, the USB link. One of, that approach, one of those approaches to, to uh, reducing the amount of data that you um, send over the USB link is called run length encoding, where uh, what you do is you say, I have the sample and it happened for this long, and and you send that just as one set of data, and then you say, okay, and then after that I had this sample and it was held on for that long. Um, so that's the approach I'm taking, which means that I can set a sample rate, sample rate at a high rate, and then whittle it down to basically every time the signals actually change, I take a snapshot, I I remember or think of how many samples that that previous one was valid. And then I set it up the USB link. I'm basically compressing it right from the get-go. And the way that I'm hoping to do that, again, I... So up until this point, I think I've gotten the full thing working, but only with me pressing a button, which is like the slowest signal you can possibly imagine. <laughs> like humans are very slow signals. Um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, Ada says uh, she's going to start with a Sandy 51 Itsy Bitsy M4. And that's actually what I was kind of thinking is that that is the best way to do it. So um, last time I worked on this a number of weeks ago, so I might be a little rusty on like, how to get everything going. I w- I, if I remember right, I was able to press these buttons that I had next to uh, the Metro and get the si- signals into Sigrock going up and down. Um. And uh, I'm hoping today, in the next hour and a half, I can get I2C working. But 400 kilohertz is actually quite a lot. I was just looking at the sale and it's sub 1 microsecond. So that a microsecond is 1 megahertz, and we're running 120 megahertz, which means we have 120 instructions for every one microsecond of time that we see there. So it's going to be tight. <laughs> so I, I make no promises. I make no promises that, it, that this is going to work. Uh, we do, I, again, like I said earlier, we have an out and that we have faster microcontrollers coming down the pike, uh, but we'll see. The other option is that, uh, because we're assuming that you're doing digital debugging, you could actually just slow I squared C down uh, because it does work slower. Uh, so if we can't keep up with the timing, we can always slow things down to be able to keep up with it. Um, so let's get in the weeds. This is called a deep dive for a reason, because that's where I like to take us. Um, the way that I have it working is that because we only have 120 cycles... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we'll see if I can can uh, have your faith. Oh, says we have faith in you, Tendu hopefully um so we talked about the limit of the bandwidth so how many megabits can we send over usb we have to also think about the amount of data that we can get through the cpu and the memory buses in the cpu and in the microcontroller and like basically like everything there as well so the microcontroller is 120 megahertz It's going to be both sampling pins and it's going to be doing work on the USB side. So the the less we can do on the CPU itself, the better. So the way that I've sketched this out working is basically I want to do that run length encoding from the very, very beginning. And the way that I'm going to do that is I was looking through the data sheet, which I've looked through for years. And I was looking at, and that's what I have pulled up. You can see it. Um, microcontrollers have this notion of an interrupt Which says, which is a way for a peripheral Which you can think kind of similar to how the LAS 3DH Is independent to the feather You can think of it that same way Peripherals are separate things in the same uh, piece of silicon That run independently And an interrupt is a way to, for one thing running independently To say to the CPU, hey, something's happening You should be aware of it and I was looking, 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 looking. Basically, what I want to do, because I want to run length and code from the very beginning, is I want to only get CPU time when things are changing, uh, because that's when I want to, when I have to add a new sample. And the way that I can keep track of when things, uh, when things change, is there's this external interrupt controller which is used for the very similar thing to which I just talked about, where the LAS3DH could have a pin that says, I'm an interrupt to the microcontroller. And the external interrupt controller is a way to translate that external wire into an interrupt into the CPU itself. Um, And it does some pretty cool things. like It actually can filter. So if there's a little bit of noise, you might actually jump up to 1, back down to 0, and back up to 1 again. And the external inner controller uh, can actually do what this is talking about, which is take three samples, and only when those three samples are uh, kind of consistent will uh, it be zero or one, which is super cool. And the reason that I can't do this on the SAMD 20, 21 is that there's this register. So registers are kind of like memory locations that you use to speak from the CPU to a peripheral. Um, there's this one called pin state. And pin state is the state of all the interrupt pins uh, after it's been filtered. So not only do we... So we can read all the pins from the... <laughs> uh, we can f- get the filter data from all of the external interrupt pins. There are up to 16 on the SAMD51. So note that uh, with this approach on the SAMD51, we're not going to be able to be wider than the Clia is. I've already looked at the IMXRT though, and I think I can get wider there, which is great because it also has high-speed USB. Um, And then the other thing what we can do using the external interrupt controller is it also has, I think it's the sense register. Right. And it can detect both edges. So this is a very common thing of notion of like, instead of knowing whether some, like digital logic is almost not, Lows versus highs, it's, it's rising edges and falling edges. The transitions between those are what actually cause data to change uh, in a lot of cases. So the external interrupt ha- has this notion of I can trigger something or I can sense when either edge happens. Whew. Welcome to the weeds. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to join us on the Discord. Uh, it's adafru.it slash discord. Um, I don't know if folks are dropping in or not, or in or out, or whatever, Um, so if you have questions, or if you've been watching and you have questions, just let me know. Uh, Happy to answer them. (laughs) Uh, Lady Ada is asking uh, which pins to use from port A. Um, So... The way that the—it doesn't matter which port you're on, Lady Ada. Uh, what matters is that the mapping between pins and the external interrupts is based on the um, the, the pin number. So if we look at the—Mr. Uh, Certainly also asked for a link to the data sheet, And I can do that. Here's the microchip page, I just searched for it, and I hit view datasheet. <laughs> um, there are a lot of different uh, numbers, but it doesn't actually matter. They all go through like a generic SamD51 one. But I'll drop that in Discord. Yep. And it might actually be a newer version. I, have, I don't know when they last re- revised it. This is a copy that I store locally because it's easier to just open it up again. Um, I was talking about pin muxing because lady Ada was asking me about it. she's currently like actively designing a piece of hardware to go with this so I hope it gets I hope we get it working um, but what we can see here is that uh, oh I was not super correct no I was I was okay. So if I'm, let me make this bigger because it's quite small. Um, this is the big pin matrix. And there's a number of different pin names. Let me just explain. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, There we go. That'll work. Uh, Let me just kind of explain the top left portion of this table. So uh, pad names are the names that are on the die itself, the piece of silicon that's inside of it. Um, And they have things like PB03. Um, And that's kind of a standard name across kind of all the different sizes and shapes of the chips of the of the packaging. so the packaging is then these five different options vqFn is the smallest one that you can see the things on the outside and that's what you'll get on something like uh, the itzy bitsy um, and these numbers here like 48 64 100 are, are the number of pins that are actually broken out um, from the piece of silicon to the like uh, pads and pins on the, on the package itself themselves. I won't go into too much detail about that. Um, but that is this, is this chart is really helpful to go from which pin on the package to what is the internal name because the internal name then impacts how it's connected to the rest of the microcontroller. Um, and what we can see here is that like PB03 is connected to the external interrupt line 3. So when you're picking pins for something like this, basically what you want to do is you want to pick as many different numbers of the external int here, which usually maps to 03. Now there's only 16 lines into the external interrupt, so if you have a number that's higher than 15, scroll, 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 (laughs) there's a lot. Uh, we can see that like PA 19 is actually back to external interrupt 3 again. So uh, when picking pins, you want to make sure that uh, you only pick one of each of these uh, things. And yeah, I would expect that the first 16 pins of PA are unique because I think it really is the number, number mod 16. Um, but it can get pretty tricky, so... Uh, that's the way that it works. Okay, so let's talk code and try to actually get going because we're 45 minutes in and I haven't compiled it. Well, I did compile something, but I didn't really tell you that. Um, so this is Sublime, and if I need to make the font bigger, just let me know. I'll figure out how to do that. Uh, Sublime's a text editor. Um, here you can see the code that I'm actually running on the circuit... Uh, the circuit Python running on the nrf 52840 uh, is just this. so I'm just connecting to LIS3Dh and doing one read and then sleeping. Uh, I, sl- I changed it to sleep for a long time to hopefully give me enough time to like buffer, 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 and then get all the USB data out. So we'll see. Um, okay, so I have so I have a folder for sigrock and SIGROC is divided into like serial port drivers, uh, SIGROC, SIGROC to code. So that's all the protocol decoders. And then the two ways to interact with SIGROC, PulseView, which is the window version, and SIGROC CLI, which is the connect to the logic analyzer, run these decoders, and just spit out the output onto the onto the command line. Um, those are all pieces of the SIGROC, SIGROC project. And I'm not going to go into how to set it up because, frankly, I did it a long time ago and I don't. Really remember, <laughs> but um, there's information on sigrock.org, and I also found this file that was really helpful uh, in sigrock util, which is uh sigrock native mac osx, which is just like a bunch of commands on how to set everything up to run and work together on os10. Which I'll just drop a link to. Yeah, would you like me to resize, Drew? Is it, is it too small? Uh, I can see. I don't know it very well. I tried just the font. Larger. I'm in the big screen. Ah, oh, that'll help a little bit. It probably, hopefully, it means that I like sit back and don't have such terrible posture. Um. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about this quite yet. I'm not going to talk about the Sigrok side of things first. I want to talk about the Tiny Logic Friend side of things. And the way I have I have it set up. So the idea is that we're building on top of TinyUSB. Um, which actually means that we get some really cool things. We get like per board sort of compiles already for free and uh, we get all the USB stuff. So I'm kind of acting like a, uh, I'm acting like a uh, an example, like a tiny USB example, but I'm actually like putting all the example code outside of tiny USB. If we look here in the tiny logic friend repo, I've actually just got this live folder that has tiny USB in it. Um, that I'm kind of, like, hooking into. So the reason I think I kind of like doing this in my spare time is that it's not CircuitPython, which means I can, like, really focus on what it's doing. So here's the main. If you've ever looked at CircuitPython's code, it's not that simple. It's much more complicated. But we're doing basic things like get everything going, and then forever run the tiny USB stuff, Capture some stuff, at, or this is like more post-process stuff, and then run more USB stuff, and then finish. Um, let's see. There's some Blink stuff that I just left in there. Um, CDC task. This is actually reading commands from the computer, uh, telling it, like, like, when Sigrok starts up, it says, like, hey, what am I connected to? And it gets some metadata uh, from the device. One thing I thought we could work on if I feel like it and, um, and we have time is uh, one thing I'd like to do is the device itself should know the name of all the pins. So uh, if you have, like, a random feather, uh, we can pick the pins that work all together. We talked about picking all the different in- external interrupt lines. Um, Basically, we can encode that in the firmware that we give you, and then when you pull it up, it'll be weird. It will say, like, the first eight things are, like, D6 and D4 and D5 and, like, totally out of order, but those will match the pins on the feather, um, which is an approach we've taken with CircuitPython and has worked really well. Um, So that's one thing we could do here. Uh, For now, I'm not doing that, I don't think. And then um, I had this generic Q sample, which is taking in a sample and the sample length. So uh, the sample is like the pin state at a particular time, and then sample length is how long um, that occurred before the the sample itself changed again. Uh, we'll We'll dig into that just a bit. And then I'm just writing that out over CDC, which is like serial. So that's main, and the nice thing about that is that that would be shared with everything. Um, so that would not have to change per microcontroller that we support with TinyLogicFriend. Um, this bit, the logic logiccapture.c cap- file, is within MCU, microchip, SAMD, blah, blah. And the reason it's in there is because that's where... Um, this is what will change with the different chip families that we support. So we have init, and we're doing some things like uh, initializing clocks. So um, the CPU itself is running, but all those peripherals that are on the chip too don't necessarily run until you actually uh, turn them on. And the way that you turn them on is you actually give them a clock signal because that clock signal starts all the logic running. So um, what we're doing here is we're... There's two sets of clocks for peripherals on the AMD-21. There's the clocks that clock the, uh, the ability to actually read and write to the registers to those things. Um, that's called the APB bust. Uh, so this is APBA mask. And what we're turning on is the EIC, the External Interrupt Controller. And we're also turning on TC0, which is timer counter, I think is what it stands for. So the general gist, what we're going to do is we are going to um, turn on interrupts. So whenever one of those pins changes, right, either edge, we'll get an interrupt and we'll call this EIC handler that we have at the top here. Um, and then what we'll do is we use TC0 as our reference clock. So TC0 is really just counting. So it's one, two, three, four, and it's counting uh, based on the clock that we're giving it. So um what we're hooking it up to, we're hooking them both up to a 48 megahertz clock. So um that's what you could consider the sample rate that we're running at. Although every time we're we're not actually taking a sample every time that that forty-eight megahertz clock happens. What we're doing is instead we're saying, ESC, run at 48 megahertz, so it's doing the filtering, and then it will say, Oh, I got something. Um <laughs> oh, Ogre Drew asks TC zero is where Arduino gets Millies right? I don't know. I don't, I've never really done Arduino um, but something like that uh, for sure. like you you derive uh, clock data from from clocks. <laughs> it's not very helpful. Uh, yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of stuff uh, lots of TCs. So like uh, the SAMD, if we look in our data sheet um, I recommend this is just preview on Mac. Uh, I don't think we need the thirty-two kilohertz crystal. Yeah, we would. Well, we can't. The Sandy Fifty One USB sync doesn't work. So, uh, but yeah, I don't think we need it because I think the forty-eight megahertz one is pretty good. And we're not going for high accuracy clocks. Like, yeah, (laughs) right. Like, we don't really care if the times that well. The thing we're trying to debug is like you ran the wrong command, right? Like you sent the wrong data. That's the thing that's most important for us. Um, and that's important. That's how we're going to get something low cost and, and uh, easy to use. So yeah, timer counter. So this is the, uh, this is the peripheral. And uh, as you can see in the first line, there's up to eight copies of it. They live at different memory addresses, but they work basically the same. Um, there can be differences. You have to read the details, but they're gen- they're generally the same. So I just picked TC zero because I don't have to worry about everything that we worry about with CircuitPython. CircuitPython will be much smarter. So like if if you say let me do PWM out, and it will try to f- look between all eight TCS and decide which one to use for you. In this case, we're being we're doing the opposite with Tiny Logic Friend. We're trying to be very specific about what we're using, and we're doing one thing and we're trying to do it as well as we can. Okay, so that's what init does, is that we're turning stuff on that we're going to use. So the first thing we turn on is the clocks to the registers, and then we turn on the clocks to the devices themselves. And we can pick like which tr- which generic clock it's derived from. I happen to know G clock 1 is 48 megahertz. Uh, I don't know when that gets going, but let's ignore that. Um, the other thing, so let's talk about start. So start, we're going to do a soft reset of both the external interrupt controller and the TC0. We wait for them to finish. And then uh, right now, I just hard-coded what pin we're using. <laughs> I told you it was early. Um, and the pin I'm using is actually D13 on the Metro M4 because I wanted to be able to see that the light goes off off and on. Uh, because that's the one the LED's on. So here's the lowest level thing to turn on. Um, so the port peripheral is another peripheral that controls, you know, digital in and out. There's a register called uh, write config, which is just a way to write config. You can't read stuff from it. Um, I don't. Oh, hw select is half word select because we're writing. More bits than can fit. So you have to tell it are you the first 16 or the second 16? Uh, confirm that we're going to write to it. We're going to write to the PMUX. We're going to write to PMUX zero and PMUX n is that. And then this is the mask for which pin we're dealing with. Um, it's one because we're in the second half word. So that would be the, you know, 16 mod 16. It must be plus one. I don't know. Uh, The PMUX is uh, the port peripheral can connect an outside, a pin from the outside to a bunch of different things on the inside. Um, So when we were looking at the table for. This is going to get. I haven't done a talk about this before. Um, It is the weeds, but these are weeds that I don't know how often people have shown. Uh, On here, it's A. And this, this directly correlates to like which uh, PMUX value you're talking about. So if you wanted to connect PB3 to the analog pin, you would say uh, PMUX1, so zero, 0, 1, CIRCOM4, 5, 6, 7, etc. Um, that's how you change what a pin does, is, is with PMUX. And now we're setting up async, or we're setting up the external interrupt controller, we're setting all the pins to async. We're setting all of them to a particular, I think, rising and falling edge configuration. Uh, int, in, int and set is enabling an interrupt. So um, we talked about interrupts earlier as a way for like something over here to tell something over there, like hey, something important's happening, and that happens even within the microcontroller itself. So the external interrupt controller, you can say uh, there's a bit to say what should leave the peripheral. And then there's also configuration on the on the microcontroller side of what to listen to. And we'll talk about that just a bit. Um, turning on debouncing, this is a filtering I was talking about. And then we're enabling the peripheral. Um, we're also going to use TC0. So we turn it on the 16-bit mode. We say, hey, let us know if you overflow. So if the signals are so far apart uh, we may actually want to just like um, raise a, raise our hand and say, like, oh, the sample's the same, but it lasted for a full uh, 16 bits of time. Um, and then we take our first sample. So the NVIC is the thing that I was just talking about on the microcontroller side. So this is the thing that takes incoming signals from all the different peripherals, and you can enable which ones you want. Um, and then I'm also, so I'm, I'm enabling the interrupts for TC0, and I'm also enabling all of the interrupts for the uh, external interrupt controller. And then lastly, I start the clock. So that's logic logic capture start. And the idea now is that everything's running. We're monitoring pins, the one pin in this case that we're looking at. And anytime we see a rising or a falling edge, uh, that triggers an external interrupt, interrupt, which is here. Um, the samd 21 has different interrupt lines for each individual pin. Uh, but this, uh, with these 16 functions, we're just driving it back down to 1. So this isn't the best way to do it because it takes some time between when that thing interrupts and when the CPU actually gets to it. But again, we're not going for perfect. We're going for good enough. Um, so when a pin changes, the very first thing we do is we capture the pin state of the external interrupt controller. If the pins change too fast, this might actually be wrong. But we're, I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, that uh, the state is the same by the time we get here. Um, so we capture the pin state, we uh, turn off the interrupts, and then we start to read the time on the counter. Uh, because that's our reference clock. That will tell us how many how much time has passed since last time. Um, and now what we're doing is we're saying... Uh, oh, okay. Sample length is wrong. I was wrong. So TC0 count 16 count... Uh, is resetting the time. So this is how we are keeping track of the the time between pin things. And now we're um, logging. So it's four bytes. So every time an edge changes, we're going to log four bytes. Four bytes is really convenient. Four bytes is great because that's also 32 bits, uh, which is the kind of the largest unit of data that can happen in one cycle within a 32-bit microcontroller. So we use the first 16 bits for the timestamp, which is how long since the last value, and we use the remaining 16 bits for all of the actual state on the external interrupt controller. Um, so theoretically, going from the one that I have configured here to two should be pretty easy. We just connect to the external interrupt controller and cross our fingers. OK, so that's how it works. We should see if it works. <laughs> Um, we can talk about the cigarette side in a little bit, but let's just get things going here. You can kind of see what I'm doing. So the way that I have my streaming set up is like I have a giant monitor and you're only seeing like the top left corner, which is why I'm like, let me know if you can't see stuff because I can see it. You just can't. Uh, I've got some tabs open here. If I connect to USB modem, blah blah blah, you can see this is the Circuit Python script that's reading the LIS3DH. Uh, but I don't care about that. Um, I'm actually so when I'm developing, especially in this case where it's low level, low, low level. Let me just explain my setup. I wrote a learn guide about this. Uh, let's just do this. So. Um, Off screen, up this way, I have a USB hub. The USB hub has the J-Link base connected to it. The J-Link base is connected, giant cable, adapter board to small cable, onto the Metro M4. This is really handy because it allows you to load code without any bootloader on it. Um, Lots of you have probably used the UF2 bootloader, but this actually uh, circumvents that. And this is actually how you get it on the chip in the first place as well. And then I've got a USB cable here. This is a special cable I got from my old work, which has a button on it, and that button allows me to connect and disconnect the data lines. When it does that, it actually blips the power, which is bad because then we lose our connection to the microcontroller. But I've got uh, this here, which is power separate. And we're not using the salier. It's just in here. So first, uh, to use this, I I have a learn guide. Somebody could find it uh, on this whole setup. This is definitely where I start. There we go. Debugging the SAMD 21 with GDB. This is a SAMD 51, but it's essentially the same process. The only thing that's different is this device name which you can't see because i'm on the overhead let's move away from the overhead so i'm going to start the jlink gdb server which is connecting over the the small wires from the jlink into directly into the the microcontroller and i've got this tab this is my sigrock tab for building sigrock and stuff so i'm not going to work there what I am going to do is I'm going to work in this tab here for the tiny logic friend and I'm going to run gdB, which is arm something like that uh, do, 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 do. all of my all of my commands are for like uh, for circuit Python. So now we've connected. we can see this is the current program counter. This is where in our instructions the CPU is and we should rebuild so we can do one thing that uh, most people don't know is you can actually run make is so common that uh, gdb allows you to just run make from within gdb it just like shells out to it and runs it for you so uh, i'm actually just going to clean which deletes the directory and then i'm going to build it with debug on should be quick. It's not as big as Circuit Python, and then I can load. So that loaded the code for Tiny Logic Friend onto the Metro, and let's see. I need a wire. If only I had wires. Alright, let me I can See what I'm doing Kind of Let's See if it's in the way There we go Okay, so as I have it now I'm sorry if I bump My mic with my head but I can't see it So I'm going to plug in D13, and I'm going to just plug it into uh, SDA. And let's see what happens. Which is kind of interesting. Um, The red light is also there. I wonder if we can actually see. Oh, you know, we're we're probably going to screw it up if we do that. Okay, let's change that. Let's make it deep. So, the one thing we have to be aware of is like if on the LED we're actually like potentially changing the voltage levels because the LED has power to it. So, I just changed it from D13 to D12. So, we're going to actually have to change our pin configuration right now. Lady <laughs> 8 is way ahead of me. I was thinking we would use the, the 2x5s actually. Cause you could do eight eight bits plus power and ground with two by fives. Which I think would be cool. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really worried about noise. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna get to that point, but maybe. You're the hardware person. <laughs> I really hope this works. This is just this is a hobby hobby thing for me so far um okay so let's change the pin it's going to be tedious right now but the idea is that later we'd be able to like hard code them all um so this says uh, d13 on the metro m4 is pa 16. so let's just add ourselves another note that says d12 on the metro m4 is how do we figure that out Yeah, I'm hoping I can do 400 kilohertz. I'm not even confident I can do that. Uh, What was I going to pull up? Oh, I was going to pull up. um... So uh, CircuitPython has a pin mapping, which is really handy. So we'll do ports at mlsmt, and then boards. And we're on the Metro M4. Later on we'll have these in uh in Tiny Logic Friend. So if you want to help with that, let me know. Ah, perfect. But this is the mapping in circuit python between D12 and PA17. So all we have to do here is say PA17, which is exti one, I believe. And this probably changes to a two. <laughs> we can double check that. Let's just, let's, since we're learning data sheets, or it, I'm, I'm turning out to, uh, what did I get myself into? Look, like, yeah, I know what. Right. You know, you know when you hit on a good idea, when lady eight is like, oh yeah, let's do that right now. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever told the story of how express boards came to be, but it was. Phil, lady and I Phil lady Ada and I having um yeah we're all stuck indoors uh, we were having a meeting between the three of us and we were talking about the feather M0 and I remember saying like oh we should just throw a spy flash on there and we can store all our, all our stuff there and the next day lady Ada had laid it all out <laughs> Like she's like okay here's the hardware and we're like okay that's you know it's a you know you have a good idea when lady Ada picks up on it and does it the next day so. Yeah, I mean, this is good if we're making hardware. Okay, so I'm looking for PA17. I just want to make sure that the external interrupt line is what I think it is. Yep, so it's one here. And then this random thing here, let's just double check what that means. So let's go, uh, ag- again, like this is a PDF viewer that has table of contents. Uh, that is really nice. What is the bus parrot pinout for the 2x5? I'd be curious. Um, OK, let me look. I guess I can drag this over. I don't think there's anything you can't see. Here's the discussion. Um, Oh, but I wasn't thinking that, though. I was thinking we have just eight generic pins, because that's got two power rails on it. Ground, three volts, five volts. Okay. Back behind the curtain you go, Discord. PDFU is running off the bottom array right edges. Yeah. And I have. Let me switch to this. But Thank you for the heads up, Drew. Okay, so we just wanted to double check what we're doing for WR config. So the table of contents is awesome. So we're looking for port. Which is the peripheral that we're using, and it's here somewhere. Thirty-two, and then uh, on the Sandy chips, you can get a or reg- register summary, which will give you an overview of all the registers and uh, WR config. and it explains how they're assembled into groups. And pin mask here shows you, ah, that's why. So it was one before because we we were bit zero. And now by changing it to two, we are bit one. So that is what we want. And later we can turn it on for more stuff. But for now, we're just gonna do the one and let's rebuild and reload. And what we can do is one of my favorite debugging tricks, which Dan knows because sometimes I accidentally leave it in the code, is to just drop. uh, There's a way to do breakpoints from C code. And in fact, we could just break on it. So we know we've connected the pin from the outside world to the EIC correctly. And we're plugged into the data line, which should be going. If this EIC handler is called. So let's just do break EIC handler uh, load. So we've loaded it on. Let's reset and run it. (laughs) And nothing happens. Great. This is why we're testing it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Ground. 3 3 volts and then 8 pin bus I was actually thinking for logic shifting You could actually Have something on the other end So like I have Some old piano keyboards like Yamaha Keyboards that I want to interface with What they would have is a custom PCB that Went from their connectors Shifted from 5 volts to The 3 3 volts coming over the 2 by 5 um, That's what I was thinking So like the logic shifting would be on the other end Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so this didn't work. (laughs) So the other way we could do it is we could do it this way. Oh, this is why. It, It doesn't work because we're not connected to it. So when I was first developing it, I would actually I would actually just have it start always. But I think I got it far enough where it doesn't do that. So let's just delete that breakpoint. Well let's see what breakpoints you have. You do info. You can say delete one. It's Mon reset. And let's just see if we continue. Our power is on. I'm gonna switch to the overhead view as well. Maybe you can see that I'm reaching towards it at least. So I'm gonna click the USB cable just so that the data lines are connected. And if I ls dev tty usb we can see there is a dev TTY USB modem TLF1234561. <laughs> totally random serial number. No, you know, just happened to get 123456. Um, that's good. So we are connected. And uh, so I showed PulseView. Let's not jump to PulseView quite yet. Um, I mean, we could. We could see if it works. Let's see if it works. <laughs> I was going to try Sigrok CLI as the alternative. Um, right now, it can't automatically detect the devices there. That's something I would work on later if, if need be. Um, but for now, what we can do is we can choose our driver. And Tiny Logic Friend is in here. I haven't talked much about this yet, but it's there. We can talk about it in a bit. Uh, and then I'm going dr- to choose that USB modem from the thing. And I'm going to hit scan. And it says device name with four channels. <laughs> Neither of those are true, uh, but yeah. So that is, if we look at the serial output here, um, it actually did talk to, uh, it did talk to the TinyLogic firmware stuff. Now you may be wondering why is it returning something called FPGA firmware. Well, I didn't start from scratch. I started from the OpenLogic sniffer which has an FPGA on it, and it happens to have a PIC on it as well. So uh, that's where I started from, but I've been kind of like transforming and mutating uh, the control signals and uh, command signals from there uh, because I, I have to if I want to do things like I want to return the names of all the pins from the device itself so that you can very similar to how CircuitPython works. You go to a downloads page. It's got a big grid of all of the boards that we support. You download the one for the board you have. You copy the UF2 file over. You plug it in. Sigrock shows it. It shows you the pins that you need to use. Like They don't make sense because like they're random D ones, um, but they're usable, and they're well-named, so you know what you need to do. So uh, Let's hit OK and just see what happens. Something happened? Oh no, it doesn't stop. (laughs) I must not have implemented stop. Okay, let's control C this if we can, which we can't. Software, it's hard. All oh, pulse view. <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> oh no. It's supposed to only go. Let me take it off. It's doing something. You know what? I could unplug it. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, beach balls are no fun. Hey, it's back. No, 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 <laughs> I don't know if it's ever going to stop asking me whether I want to save a date or not. I really like to see it now that I, like we got something out of it. Ooh, it stopped. All right, let's look at this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That probably means nothing. It looks inverted to me, which is interesting. Um. <laughs> this is what I get for p- picking the data line. So if we had done the clock line, we should be able to see it go up and down at a regular enough roll. Whereas this is not. And we can't trust the times here either because these are just based on timestamps that I've been doing. Does it look regular? It looks pretty regular. But yeah, I have no idea if that's right or not. It certainly doesn't look like what we saw on the salier. Um, hmm... What should our next step be? I think, yeah, we can close up. Well, that's good to know, we just to unplug it. <laughs> I don't know why it didn't stop. It might be that we're just overwhelming it and it was getting behind. So, oh, that's the other thing. So every time it overflows, it's gonna send a sample. So. What we got, what it's telling us that we got, is it received sample two and a sample count of six fifty five five thirty five, which is 16 bits of value. The sample two is the same thing over and over and over again. I'm trying to remember. So we're sleeping for a while. Actually, let's try it. I think I also have a SIGGRAC CLI. Yeah. So this should crash because it's not connected. Let's go back to JLINK. And oh, (laughs) we hit a a breakpoint. That will also cause it to stop responding. So let's see. You can't see that. It's main 198. So this is whether we accidentally overflowed or we failed to send something in tiny USB which we should be able to do. But maybe not let's just comment that out let's just play around till we have a better idea what we're doing make again riveting content I know so we're loaded let's reset and continue let's click the USB back on and run the sigrax cli and see what we get we get something i think it is supposed to stop after 8 seconds doesn't look like like we're still running on the tiny logic friend side but this is continuing to go. Oh, it stopped. No, I just stopped. the. <laughs> Maybe that's the first order of business to get at, to actually stop. So let's see. What it's printing out is, I guess we could talk about the other side of it. Since that's primarily what we're doing, we're almost an hour and a half in. And yes, turn it off and back on again. The other thing we could try is we could actually try doing both lines at the same time um, just to see what happens to see if we see any sort of pattern with the clock line. Or we could just also try to do the clock line. Clock lines are usually the the right way, the right place to start because they're predictable. All right. Turning off USB. Resetting this. I'm not sure whether I can do multiple captures in a row. On reset and continue. Click USB on. And Rensigrack CLI again. Takes a little while because it actually rebuilds the library. And we'll control C it. And we're still getting all ones, which is not really. We're getting all ones, but we're not. The clock signal only goes when we're reading it. When, we're, um, when the Circuit Python device is actually reading it, that's what I mean. So it's I th- I think the clock signal idles low. So I don't no, it doesn't idle low. It idles high. So this is okay. Um, it's totally possible that we're just we're working, but we're only working when um, in the like one second interval that we wait so we could actually we still have our circuit Python drive and we have our code We can actually let's just speed this up. Let's see if we can't actually figure out where that that clock signal is. Right, so the way that I squared C works is like the default line is always high. And that's how, that's how it works with um, multiple things on the same thing is that there's a resistor that makes the default value high. And then if any one thing on the bus makes it low, it's OK if another thing tries to make it low at the same time. Um, the thing you're trying to avoid is when one thing's trying to make it high uh, directly and one thing's trying to make it low directly, that's a short circuit. Um, Okay, let's do one more round of off reset, run, turn on USB. And let's just try it one more time. And did I wait long enough? Maybe I didn't wait long enough. So these are actually uh, debug messages, I think. (laughs) So if we actually hit a clock thing, we should see more debug messages as well. And I can talk about that in just a bit. I'm just curious, curious, curious. Or whether we're just idling all the time. The other thing we could do is we could see... So there's kind of two ways that packets get sent. There's the like timer overflowed out, out of sixteen bits. That means that like nothing's happening, but we we overflowed, so we just say like, oh, this happened for the for the sixteen bits worth of time. Then the other thing is the external interrupt controller, which we tried to break on, which is the actual like, oh, a pin changed, do something. And that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out right now is like, it looks okay. But are we only doing the first thing and not the second thing? Are we only sampling it on the overflow, or are we also sampling when we actually see pin activity? That's the question. Da, da, da. Like this, all looks pretty standard. The problem is, is that right now or as. A, of when I was working on this last sigrok didn't preserve like run length encoding through the whole pipeline so when i read something in and it says it's you know 65,000 long i just like send further down the sigrok pipeline like 65,000 copies of of that sample which is not not great I don't see anything. I'm trying to think of if there's a better way to try to find it, because I don't know. Like, is it gonna be one zero one? Could I like just find it that way, or something else? Hmm. wonder if I could get it to turn off the bit values. Because I'm really just looking at the debug output. I don't need to look at the pin values. Nice. <laughs> My mom texted me. See, like this is this is what I'm expecting to see more of. This is saying, "Oh, I got sample," and oh, <laughs> oops, I got a sample and it's sixty-five thousand long. So let's just abuse everything a little bit more and we'll unclick this and let's do that breakpoint that we had so the question is, is like are we actually connected to the external in our controller so we actually do have to run the sigrock thing And if my camera blips i'm sorry Everything on the same USB bus can be dangerous. So no, it doesn't look like that's the case. Because this should be breaking if we're actually tracking, if we're actually getting an external interrupt controller alert or interrupt. Which would explain why we're just getting a bunch of the same thing over and over and over and over again. But it does look like it's connected up. Let me show you the overhead. Oh yeah, look. At that. that video is not happy. Uh, Control C. Wow. Hm. Okay, so I don't think this is interesting. Just go to the overhead and just check my wiring. D12 to SCL. So maybe we're connected to the wrong pin or I squared C is not actually running anymore. So what we could do is (laughs) use a logic analyzer to develop a logic analyzer hook the Clia back up. And we can just confirm that it is still running. Debugging <laughs> is so much fun to watch on Twitch, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what we expect. Try echoing pin state to toggle the LED inside the eIC controller and Metro to verify yeah, Todd I that makes sense to me, but like wouldn't we like we should break on the external interrupt controller um, if we're actually getting to it. The other thing we can do is we can put an like assembly breakpoint instruction in there as well to know um, but at least we know that the clock the clock is running. And it's on the right echoing. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could do the... Yeah. Let me try the breakpoint thing. Like, I have a breakpoint here now. The other thing I can do is uh, in main where I'm waiting to ru- like I'm waiting to get a command to run I can do this and just run it always so we don't have to like click and unclick the USB all the time. We can just make sure that Oh, sorry. Here's my screen again so I've added logic capture start meaning that like we're just gonna go straight into it even if USB is not there which would explain why we would hit the other the breakpoint let's USBs unclicked could be like I'm loading circuit on or something <laughs> I don't think that's it but Did I forget to run load? That could be it, too. Not getting to the EIC handler. Oh, yeah. Todd Todd says, uh, "Better hurry, Scott. Looks like Lady Ada is gonna have the board done and shipped in a few hours." And I, like, that's my life. is keeping up with Lady Ada making new hardware. It's not surprising to me at all. <laughs> it's a good place to be. Yes, we are a team. I mean, that's the that, so the pitch with Tiny Logic friend, right? Is like, she pays me to make software that works across all of Adafruit's hardware, and people should buy Adafruit hardware. Sounds like a good deal to me. I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, uh, we got to figure out why this isn't working. So let me show you another trick that is not in my guide that I've been meaning to update. Uh, there's this thing called Pi Text Cor- Pi Cortex M Debug. Let me find a link to drop in the chat. Um, And gdB actually runs Python inside of it, which is cool And then this is a thing that allows you to load up an SVD file which is a definition of all the registers in the microcontroller that the vendors provide and actually look at the contents of the registers relatively easily. Um, so there's the link And so what I just did is I I have um, in my GDB init stuff I have like, shortcuts to load particular files. Um, Like, this is just happens to be where I put this SVD file. Uh, But now that it's loaded, I can do something like SVD EIC. And now I can look at all the registers and their values. I can look at Control A and see that it's enabled, which is good. I can see that. There is an external interrupt active. Where are we? So, and int and set. Ah, I think this is our problem. (laughs) Mr. Certainly says, I'm really enjoying this sort of deep dive. It's absolutely out of my depth, but being a fly on the wall and picking up little things that will benefit me later. Yeah, kind of that's the hope is that it's kind of like the way I stream is like welcome to my world. This is the the weeds in the deep end. Um, but it's recorded. You can go back and watch it again. I mean, it's two hours of detailed stuff, but it's like stuff that's not well documented. And I'm not a great writer. So this is a one way I can just uh, document it is just like sit on my shoulder, be a fly on the wall and see what it's doing. So, um, so. I think this is the issue that we're seeing here. Yeah, and and Lady Ada says the best part of streaming is debugging. So, uh, welcome to my my workflow for debugging. This is the same workflow I would use if I were working on like spy on CircuitPython. Python. This is all the same, all the same idea. Like SVD is really useful for that too. Um, but the thing that jumps out at me is that um, when it comes to interrupts, int flag is the active interrupts, and then int set and clear define. Uh, what interrupts go to the CPU. Now these values are different. Not these two are one, but this is two. So I think what happens is when I shifted the pins from uh, like the zeroth one to the to the one the first one the second one, I forgot to shift the interrupts that were active as well. So let's take a look at that when we start. So Here we have int flag. When you write to int flag, what you're doing is you're clearing the active interrupt. So that's why it's in the EIC handler. If we didn't do that, if we didn't clear it in the EIC handler, what would happen is we'd immediately call the EIC handler again. We don't want to do that. Um, If we scroll down, we can see here int n set is 1. But this is where we actually want it to be 2 because we switched the pins. So let's make again, and I'm just hitting up to get back to that. And we'll load, and we'll reset, and we'll continue. And now we hit the breakpoint on the EIC handler. Debugging. It's it's coding. <laughs> it really is coding. So let's delete two. Let's mon-reset again because we got it working. It didn't look like that I had... Let me check what shows. Let me make sure you can see what I'm doing. Okay. Looks like you can. Um, This is what I was worried about. I leave these all over the place when I'm debugging. So uh, for those of you who don't know, that what this is saying is like this thing in the parentheses is assembly. Assembly is the API of the CPU itself. So um, it's a it's a text representation of instructions that are just particular numbers to the CPU itself. And when you compile a program down, it's sequences of those numbers to encode the instructions that sh- the CPU should run. And the Cortex M4s, I don't think the M0s have it, but the M4s and the M7s have this uh, breakpoint instruction which if you're connected on a debugger, it will break for you in your debugger, which is great. Um, they tend to... The other way breakpoints work is they tend to... they. You say, hey, when the instruction or when the, the program counter is, which is the like pointer as to what next instruction you're doing, traditional breakpoints are like, if the program counter equals one of these four values or these n values, and that's a fixed resource, um, then break. But if you have these assembly instructions that say breakpoint in your code itself you can have as many of those as you want and the other cool thing is you can actually put it in like an if statement say if this thing is is false or true or whatever you want to say then break it's really handy for saying like something's messing up this value if this value is this which is totally wrong then break and then we can try to figure out how we got there so that's one of my my go-to's in terms of how to debug so uh, let's Delete that, save that, and we'll rebuild and reload um, because we'll just break there. <laughs> it won't be an interesting at all. Uh, continue. Sig trap. See, that feels like it didn't actually reload correctly. So let's just, um, we could clean. Oh, did I forget to actually load? Okay, so it sounds like Twitch just blipped. Let me. I am recording this locally as well, so any drops and stuff won't be in the recording. Restream.io says Twitch is okay. Oh, there is. Oh, nice! I just noticed the Twitch chat. Like I had the window open, but I hadn't clicked it, so it hadn't refreshed. Um. Looks like Piper is there. Mister certainly had a link to the Discord. Paul's watching, or at least was like an hour and a half ago. So thanks, Paul. Um. Lady it is hacking on or making stuff at the same time. Awesome. Alright, we all refreshed. Everybody's streaming because nobody's leaving their house. And I'm gonna play video games later. Cause you know. Okay, I think I think we're all set. Um I think I forgot to load, so when I'm doing CircuitPython I have a thing that will build and load, but I'm not sure that that uh, shortcut works with um, these files, so I did load, reset and continue. It looks okay, but I also added the extra start that I don't want anymore, so let's delete this start as well. Make again, load again, reset again, continue. And now what we're going to do is we're going to click USB on and do the Sigrock CLI again. It makes the Sigrock stuff and then runs, but it doesn't look. It still looks like it's mostly just ones, but well, let's see. See if we can't spot something that's not. Because we still have like a tenth of a second where it's high. Okay, you can see what I'm doing. Oh, come on. Maybe... Maybe there's a way I can get it without this other output. Charmingly, come on, come on, come on, come on. Not seeing anything. Well, this is boring. Let's see. How did I do that? You know what we could do? We could just see if it works in SIGROC or in PulseView. This may crash it, but let's try not restarting it before we try to connect to it. Yeah, I could just do a PWM. That's not a bad idea. Because then, uh, then I know I'm not hitting the high time. Let's let's just try this. Let's hail Mary it, and then if the hail Mary it doesn't work, let's give this a shot. <laughs> okay, so I have to reset it. So if anybody wants to help with this, that would be awesome. <laughs> I will push code. So before we before we end up and everything, remind me I'll push it all. So so that we can hack on it. Um. Okay. I reset and I connect it again and I scan and it works. And I hit okay and I run. And I can't stop. So I unclick it and it crashes. (laughs) Ah, bummer. Okay. All right. Todd's got a good idea. I squared C is complicated. Let's make it simpler. Okay, so. We don't need a separate signal generator, we have CircuitPython! Uh, Okay, so on the overhead what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this d12 line and I'm just going to stick it right on d5 Uh, No, I shouldn't do that. Let's do, Okay, you can see what I'm doing. I'm going to move this over here, because I want to be able to verify the PWM on the salier. So I'll just, oh, I browned it up. I moved my ground, which I actually do want still. But it's the longest wire. It's so easy to grab. SCL is green. We'll just use that. Oh no! I pulled the plastic off of it. I need those. I got those nice silicone ones. I just haven't grabbed them. I haven't used them yet. Right. Breadboard wires done. All right, Circuit Python time. This is why I have a hard time with software sometimes. I do Circuit Python all week, and then I'm like, right next to CircuitPython Python, and then I find a bug, and I'm like, I gotta do Circuit Python again. But that's okay. It's easy. Pulse I mm, oh, yeah. Do I need to save this? Let me rename. I'm in safe mode too, because <laughs> I blipped the power. So here's my files. Let's rename this to I2C. And then we can move that off. Save this as code.py. And then we have a new code.py. Since we're iterating, let's do screen to it. And it's telling me that I lit the power, so I'm just going to press Reset. Oh, and you can't see my screen either. So um, if you see, it's ramping. This color is actually yellow. It's kind of hard to see. But that means it's in Safe Mode. If we click it again, it'll reset, and now it's green, and it's telling me my code's wrong. So back here. We're gonna to do Todd's good idea of generating just a pulse, a PWM signal out, so that we can try to see it on the Sigrok CLI. So we're gonna do uh, pulseio p equals pulseio dot out board SCL. And do I give it frequency here? I think I do. Mm, Try to remember what the defaults are. 2, 14. Something like that. Okay, and let's start this back up since I clicked it extra positional arguments pull up the circuit Python docs you would think I would know the APIs that I designed why why spend time remembering it when you can just look it up oh it is frequency the 14 or 15 is half. So this is a kilohertz. And it's running and we still have logic open. So if we just hit start again, we can see that it's going. Thanks, Deshipu. <laughs> Should have read my chat earlier. Deshipu says, it's keyword or, keyword only. Generally, if an, if the value of a parameter or a, uh, an argument is a number, I, I'd like to have it keyword only because then it's labeled. OK, so this has uh, 1 kilohertz sine wave. Let's just see what happens with that. So since our reset doesn't work, going to reset here and run. And then we're going to skip pulse view. And take a look at cigar. Oh, and I got to click my USB on. Oh, I think that looks promising. Does that look promising? Or is it just my imagination? It might be my imagination. I mean, I think the rate that I'm doing it is quite high. We're looking for one that's just zeros. Ah, there we go. There's one that's just zeros. And this is also interesting. If we look... Um, This, so, okay, we're almost two hours in, so let's kind of, like, cover the SIGROC side and any questions folks have, and then we can wrap up, I think. I'll do that. i got to commit stuff, but I can get a lot done. But now you know it all. Now you can help. Um, What we have here is we received a two-byte sample, and it actually only occurred for 24,000 times. Twenty-three nine nine four. We can run this math actually because um, it's a one kilohertz signal with a forty-eight kilohertz clock. So I think that's about right because it should be twenty-four thousand. Does that sound right? Twenty-four thousand per um, half a millisecond clock. Sounds right to me. Let's look at it in pulse view. It might actually work. Okay, click USB off. Want to reset, continue. Click USB on. Pulse view. Like this can be made better. later scan for device that works oh look at that it still doesn't stop <laughs> and the timing is definitely not right but <laughs> click the usb oh and it didn't uh no it didn't crash look at that We've got a signal that goes up and down. Thanks, Todd, for the great idea. That was, that was really good. So there is definitely, it's it's definitely not right. I don't know. Can we measure? Let's let's see how bad we are, <laughs> how ro- how wrong our measurements are. So we're actually running at one kilohertz. But the way that we're talking to Sigrock we're telling it it's 4.1 hertz. <laughs> so, we're not correctly selling telling Sigrock what our sample rate is, but that's okay. I know, yay data! I'm excited about that, I hope other people are excited about it. we could actually play we we could experiment to see how fast of a pwm we can detect too but i really i don't like most protocols <laughs> most protocols that you debug they're they're not like like a pwm is not spectacular at it because it's always sending data whereas like in that i squared c case it's like oh, here's a little bit of data, and now a second of nothing. Uh, here's a little bit of data, a second of nothing. And that will impact um, like our pipe from pins out USB because there's a buffer within the memory of the tiny logic friend that if you fill it up too fast and the USB can't keep up, like then you're then you're not going to have a good time. Okay, so let's do a brief tour of the SIGROC side of things uh, just so that we can kind of complete that chain so uh, I showed the tiny logic friend stuff. That's the firmware that we're compiling and pushing onto the Metro M4. And then what we're running is Sigrock CLI or PulseView here. And that's not actually, um, we. I haven't changed PulseView or Sigrock CLI at all. And in fact, I think I don't even know what I've changed. Oh, I was starting a a decoder. I was starting another spy decoder for the, the SigRock decode, but we don't actually need that. The thing that I've been focused on is this Lib SigRock, which is what includes the support for all the hardware devices. Um, and that's where we put the other side of the USB link for tiny logic friend. So if we look in this directory, there's now a tiny logic friend LA, which I think when I was looking at it, it looks like they have LA as kind of like a logic analyzer suffix. So I added that. And what I actually started with is there's this open bench logic sniffer, and that's the folder I started with. Now there's kind of two standard files here. API I believe is the API from Sigroc to the device, and then protocol is kind of like more implement detail implementation implementation details under that. Um, so if we just go through here, you can see it's got like some other copyright Double-check overlapping anything. Let me move it over. There we go. So um, this is some configuration stuff. These are the hard-coded, they're currently hard-coded names for all the pins on um, within this driver. But my goal longer term would be to load these names off the device itself so that. Um, this side, the SIG like SIGROC side, doesn't need to know the individual pin names. And then you can see here, these are the different supported sample rates. Definitely not correct. Um, ways of finding the device. The, so these SR errors and SR infos are different levels of debugging. And so that's kind of what we were, we were seeing. Um, when I didn't reset it before, we saw this check fail. Basically, like the very first thing you should get is this TLF one, so tiny logic Friend one. I just cribbed it straight from the open logic uh, sniffer thing. Da, da, da. And then it actually closes the serial. So it like opens the serial, reads the metadata, and and does that. Configuration stuff for sample rates and all that, um, whether it's run length encoded, which we actually are always um, not very interesting stuff let just go through here because I haven't actually looked at it that recently. Um, you can turn like different pins on and off, but it's—I don't think it's actually worth doing the math on the device side to like shrink pins together. Um, units of like eight are really easy to just copy and move around, so I, I think it's actually better not to, not to do that. Uh, trigger stuff. <laughs> I think all these changes, so these these marks here show where I changed. I think they're all just naming changes. I don't think I've basically, I don't think I've really changed any of that. Um the stuff that I changed more is in this protocol. It's not this stuff. Um, what I had to change was these are the prints for FPGA version and stuff. So potentially adding new commands here. And setting sample rate, uh, receive data. This is where I've done most of the work because I always wanted to do this RLE process, uh, run length encoded. So uh, so we say first pair of bytes is the first sample. So we actually get you have this kind of fence post problem of um, you get a sample and then how long it lasted, and you get a sample and then how long it lasted. Um. So yeah, these spew is like the, the uh, most verbose option, and then this for loop here is the thing that's copying the last sample into all the individual slots before it then sends it down the pike. To sigrock um, and I was talking with the sigrock devs a little bit about how to do this because you saw in those cases where like nothing's happening, I'm getting I'm getting basically sixty five thousand samples at a time. They suggested that I not just do one giant chunk at a time, so that's why I think I have uh, like this pending samples equals buffer size. So like I'll actually send call call this session send multiple times so that the like rest of the pipeline doesn't go, get overwhelmed with samples. And then that just loops. And this is the code that's probably not correctly stopping. Um, I think that there's uh, like some of these are events FD stuff I think indicates when you should stop. And I'm trying to do that here. Um trying to clean up nicely, but clearly as we saw, I'm not not succeeding at that. Um okay, so it's just after three, which means I've been going for just around two hours. Um ask any questions you have. That's been kind of the top-to-level and the pitch for Tiny Logic Friend. Um while folks think of things, maybe, um, let's just uh get it all committed and pushed so if you want to see if you want if you want to take a look at what i've been doing um and have the latest you can see that so repos tiny logic friend just commit it i'm not gonna have great commit messages it's too early for good ones (laughs) too early in the in the process very basic RLE-based capture. So we'll push that. And we'll just push it to master because nobody's using it. hmm <laughs> Somebody's thanking me. Mister Certainly's thanking me for my stream of consciousness and detailed thought process. It's easy. Not sure it's that valuable, but uh. okay. So here's the updated Tiny Logic Friend repo. And then the other thing that we need is we actually need the Sigrock one, which I'm not sure if I've ever pushed. Sigrock, live Let's see our git status. I do git status so much that I do it in places that I should not run git status. Okay. Uh, Drew says, seeing somebody, seeing how someone else thinks about something is very educational. So I'm glad you're willing to put in the time because it's definitely not that uh, information dense. But. Okay, and then I'm going to ignore the build directory because that's clearly not. Uh... Yeah, so ToddBot says, this is great. I learned a lot about SAMD internals. Thank you. Um, I want to point out, actually, like we, t- we did talk a lot about those internals. And that is actually the stuff that we covered about interrupts and peripherals and things like that. It's very generic. It's very like that whole class of Cortex-M stuff. Um, let me just show you. A, not my files. Um, let me just pull up another data sheet for, like, the NRF. And you'll see that uh, da, 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 da. it's actually quite similar. So here's this the data sheet for the NRF. And if we just uncheck, like, peripherals here, we get the same sort of, like, oh, here's all the peripherals in here. And even, like, oh, here's GPIO. And this stuff changes, like, the register summary stuff. Um, And they like to call interrupts events. Uh, But in general, that structure is all of the same because basically ARM has provided all the vendors with all of the glue tools. Um, So if you look in, like, the CPU itself, like, core components, you'll still be able to find, like, the NVIC, the interrupt support stuff. Although, they try to hide it, but you, yeah, it's here. Nested Vector Interrupt Controller is 48 vectors. So a lot of the stuff we talked about is actually uh, not that Sandy specific. So actually, you learned more than you thought. Um, Okay, git commit first version. A logic friend and Sigrock. And I don't know if I have my own remote, which I don't. So I will need to make one. Sigrock is uh, different than most of the projects I work on in that they don't actually have, uh, they don't host on GitHub. That's okay, because I should be able to just do my own leipzig rock, which is the same name. It might be bad and not put a description. Copy this. And now I can push Tanit Master up to here. Uh, There we go, and now we can look in source and hardware, and tiny logic friend is in there. I'll drop that in the chat, and I'll wrap up. So thank you everybody for watching. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this last two hours of me rambling about all the stuff and seeing how I. Debug, microcontrollers, and SVD files, and GDB, all of the three-letter acronyms. Uh, if you want to know more about this, uh, you can always find me on the Adafruit Discord server, adafruit, A-D-A-F-R-U it slash discord. That will jump into the server. I'm known as Tan Newt on it. You'll see me in the top right as an admin. Uh, <laughs> Lady Ada just, uh, let, me, let me show this off. Uh, don't say anything mean. Uh, Lady Ada just finished routing a version of the M4 based uh, logic analyzer that, if this ever works, we'll be able to sell as hardware. Um, so yeah, ping me on Discord if you want to know more at TanNewt. I showed the links to uh, the repositories. You can find them on my GitHub, uh, GitHub.com/TanNewt, and. Uh, if you uh, want to support this effort and see TinyLogic friends get uh, more of my time, uh, buy Adafruit hardware and let us know that you uh, that you want to see it and you you think it's a great idea. Uh, also contribute, we'd love love it if other people helped as well. Uh, I my day job is working on CircuitPython, whose goal is it, is to make uh, programming microcontrollers much easier than all of the stuff I was doing today. I think we succeeded in that, and that there's a whole lot more work to do there as well. So um, contributors are more than welcome on either of these projects, CircuitPython or Tiny Logic Friend. Uh, that would definitely make us uh, get the furthest. Um, also, SigRock is awesome if you want to contribute to them and add more protocol decoders. That is something I'd love to do in the future when I actually can get data easily into it. Um, so any help there is really welcome as well. And uh, with that, I'm going to wrap up. Thanks to to everybody again for watching, and I'll see you on Discord.